Hey folks, this is the second episode of the Racket Athlete Podcast. Today's guest is Chris Simpson, who is a father to one son of 12 years old. He moved up to Scotland in 1997 to play professional football. His education background is a BSc at Aberdeen University, a teaching qualification at Stirling University, completed his Master's in Strength and Conditioning at St Mary's University and was an accredited UKSCA Strength and Conditioning coach since 2008. He currently works as a college lecturer at Dundee and Angus College. There's a few different jobs with S&C, with figure skaters and Scottish golf performance. He also has a co-director of Fit for Purpose in Angus. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah. Uh, nice little introduction. <laughs> yeah. It's always good to get that in, isn't it? All yeah. right. So, <laughs> first of all, we'll just get straight into it. What is your take on the strength and conditioning industry at the moment, Chris, from your perspective? At the moment, um, oh, it's quite a kind of a wide question. Um, so, if you look at my little micro environment, which is who kind of I'm involved with, um, from an SNC perspective, I think I'm very fortunate to have um, friends that are within SNC, full time, part time. Um, so, in terms of how I see their roles, very much um, there for the kind of needs of the athlete and the coaches. You know, it's a really important one. Um, I know social media have a big part to play now in terms of kind of pushing the profession forward um, and the UKSCA uh, trying to do that in a very positive way as well um, under the current kind of chairmanship of Chris Bishop. Um, and obviously the, the directors that are there, they are trying to drive the industry forward, or sorry, the profession forward in a way that will kind of possibly impact any involvement in sports. A um, few things on Twitter going around in terms of what titles should be an SNC coach or a performance coach, and there's lots of different titles going around just now. Um, so yeah, kind of mixed not yeah, mixed views. I would say mixed views around the, the profession right now. Um, but ultimately, what they see the profession as is as as coaches working with athletes or development athletes or young athletes, um, just trying to get them physically better for a for a life in sport and maybe a life outside of sport. Um, so if we look at kind of developing athletes, progressing through, many of them, as much as they aspire to be sports individuals um, many of them aren't going to get there or get close to it so it's actually the influence that we have or can have um, as they progress kind of through to adulthood so I think it's always remembering us as SNC coaches um, kind of the role we play within that sport and that kind of the, the multidisciplinary team in terms of if you're involved as sports coaches involved with tactical, technical, physiotherapist, whoever those kind of stakeholders are. And also we're all there just for the athlete or that individual and kind of progressing forward. 
Um, and then obviously if you get into elite sport, there's, there's quite a few things going on in there in terms of different roles, different um, emphasis that are placed from our professional stance, so from a, an SNC coach's stance. I think it's just very widespread and, and it can be very different depending where you are. But I think everything comes down to just looking after the athlete in line with kind of what the sports coach wants as well, or that kind of um, the main of the head coach and preparing them for that sport. Yeah, so it's, it is vast and it is progressing and it is a, a field that can, that can only get bigger. Um, yeah. Yeah, so going back to the what you mentioned there about the the name of that should be you or sort of should be utilised for the S and C coach. What's your opinion on that? What do you have any? You know, what what do you think about that? What should it be? Performance coach, S and C coach. <clears throat> Opinions probably only come from where I've coached myself, so it depends on the role that you have within the team. I think that's a big one. So. I know there's a few things that are out there in terms of um, sports scientist, S&C coach, performance coach, and I'm sure there'll be individuals in those positions that can justify why they have a title that they do. And there are some amazing coaches out there um, with an elite professional sport that do an amazing job and very intelligent people, but very, um, applied very intelligent as well so in terms of their application within a practical setting from kind of whatever the theory the knowledge is into that practical setting so in terms of my opinion on the names it doesn't really put me up or down i think as long as you're there to do whatever that job remit is and if you've got the correct um skill set for doing that job then absolutely whatever the title is, it is. I think it's just understanding. So if we look at strength and conditioning and sports science, without wanting to create any um, offense to anyone, um, strength and conditioning is very much an applied, an applied practical um, coaching set of, can we get an athlete ready for that sport from whether it's strength development, power development, whether it's soft tissue um, care, whether it's, I know a lot more individually, again, this depends on where they're at, whether it's looking at a bit of lifestyle management, whether it's looking at um, nutritional recovery strategies. So that's where kind of names then start become very different. If we look at sports scientists, very much um, data collection, um, analysis of whatever that data has come from, either heart rate, um, data, GPS data. So very, very different roles. So unless that sports scientist has got that kind of skill set as an SNC coach to then go and apply it within that kind of strength, power kind of remit as well, or ability-based remit. So they can be very different. Um, so it very much comes down to that kind of individual skill set. Um, and as long as they've got that skill set and experience, then I think it's important just to make sure that they're working within that remit or within that skill set, so that title fits their skill set. Yeah. Um, but it's it is one that can be quite confusing. I know a number of 
professional elements or teams or bodies or we'll, we'll look at a sports scientist and want them to do the same as what a potential physical preparation or strength and condition coach will do when really they might not have that skill set or that background in it. Um, so yeah, it's very, it's open to opinion and um, as long as someone's got the skill set and whatever role they're in, as long as they've got that experience and skill set, then a title to me is not a biggie. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Um, so more on a personal level now, what is your philosophy or principles in training your athletes? So yeah, this is kind of a big one. It kind of sets the pillars to the sessions that we have or how I work with athletes um you mentioned that i lecture at a college as well so everything i do from a lecturing perspective i kind of embed within my coaching philosophy as well there might be slight differences in terms of the boundaries that i set and how i go around um working with an individual but not massive differences maybe just to what the task is at hand so i think the big one for my philosophy and like I say, I'm very fortunate to have taught for what, nearly 18 years now um, at a college and SNC coached for 13 years. Um, kind of my, the philosophy, it kind of comes from my own background within sport coming through um, and all those kind of people that influenced me and looking back and how well I've got on with individuals. I think that's kind of helped kind of install my own philosophy so kind of the big one to me in a philosophy is on my own kind of view on it is actually can I get them engaged that's a big one so how can I get an athlete engaged so to start with it's I'm not fussed if they're an athlete I'm not fussed what level they're at um, how old they are it's all about the person to start with so that's kind of a big a big focus point for me it's it's understanding that individual yeah so the individual comes first anything um, whether it's that individual that is at grassroots level and wants to be their favourite player, if it's football, Ronaldo or Messi or whoever it is, um, or whether it's some of the elite performers that I've been fortunate enough to work with and their aspirations get into the Olympics or get into the Commonwealth Games or get into um, the Winter Olympics. So it very much depends on that individual. But the first one is it's getting to know the individual and then treating them like an individual and treating them how I want to be treated myself. And that's a really big thing. Um, so part of that is also involving them in the process. Now that becomes a little bit more different depending on the age of the athlete, but also the experience of the athlete. So... A big one is I want to try and Im embed that kind of self-autonomy within any performer. Again, whether that's a nine, ten-year-old I work with up until the oldest athlete I've worked with. So it's, it's, it's very much the emphasis gets put on them wanting to do it. And some of the key things that I kind of talk to, whether it's athletes or students, is having an open mind to training. Um, I know I'm not the first coach they've had. I know I won't be the last coach they've had. I know there's a lot of coaches out there that give sound advice. It might be slightly different to my advice. So it's just coming into whatever I do them and having that kind of open mindset. If they, 
if they have that open mindset, then it allows them to embrace whatever it is that we're doing and allows them to have open and honest discussions with myself and vice versa. It allows me to have open and honest discussions with them. Um, and then the other one is for them to turn up. Now that might be a real simple uh, thing to do, but if they turn up, then generally they, it's not so much getting the results, but then they're um, kind of dedicating themselves to the process. So again, if you look at um, role within the Institute, when I was at Sport Scotland Institute of Sport, when we go back to, when you look at athletes that are aspiring to make the next Olympics or the next Commonwealth Games or their next European Games or World Games, whatever level they're at, whether it's like a 15-year-old or an 18-year-old or that 22, 23-year-old. If you go back to attendance, it's literally, it can tell you a big picture of, well, if you've not turned up for 40% of the time to the S&C specific sessions, then how are we going to improve any attributes that might benefit you in a sport? So, yeah, those are the big ones, open-minded and kind of um, attendance-driven. And then within those sessions, how can I then give that kind of self-autonomy and embed that within them for them to be able to work out when I'm not there, for them to be able to um, take on advice correctly from other individuals, for them to kind of digest it and kind of sift through what they feel is right for them and, and what they don't. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> So you kind of touched on it, um, on it there, Chris, about building kind of a rapport with your athletes. Um, would you say you're quite straight down the line or are you a bit more subtle with that? Um, there are boundaries, but the boundaries are mainly um, turn up. That's a big one. Turn up, invest in the session mm -hmm. um, and be honest with me. So the first part of every session um, it doesn't matter if I've got 20 people in front of me or if I've got two people in front of me um, is I take the time to find out how their day was. So just the uh, five, 10 minutes of every session, they understand. So if we have a structured warm up in place, which kind of sets the tone for a session and this is where the self autonomy comes in. Literally, I don't, I, if I've shown them it once or twice, mm -hmm. I shouldn't need to show them it every single time they come in. So therefore, it becomes on them to take that ownership of the program. And that, again, is with the 10 or 11-year-olds I work with. It's kept simple, but in that little snippet, now they do need a little more direction to the slightly older ones, uh, athletes. But that first five, 10 minutes is all about just, just them. And it's about yeah. <clears throat> um, how their day's been or how the day it's, their sport's been. So if we look at the figure skaters I work with, I see them twice a week. Um, on one of the sessions, I see them directly after having a full day of skating. And that's starting at like half five in the morning. So by the time they come to me at uh, five o'clock, um, one, they've had a full day of it already. So how are they feeling? Are they tired? Um, what is it they've done today? that they're frustrated with, they're annoyed with, they're happy with. Um, and then if you look at developmental athletes, i.e. if you look at grassroots, some of them have had a full day at school. And whether it's been a good experience or a bad experience, is just kind of building that bridge with them for them to see you as someone that they can trust. Mm -hmm. And that's the big one is, is do they trust you and, 
and that's the whole point of kind of building the rapport with them in the session another one for building rapport is um so although i have plans out for what they've got to do each session i've got to give them that bit of onus of are you feeling ready to do that today you know so it's never nothing's ever set in stone it could be with one of the the elite performers it could be a, a max day we've got planned to come in the knackered we're not doing it yeah you know, not if it's if it's a regular thing then we've got to find out why and what's behind the reason why they're constantly tired or fatigued um but if it's a one every few weeks and they've come in and they're, and they're really tired then it's like well we're not doing it it's fine yeah you know, if it's so it's just again connecting building that trust with with the athletes and allowing them to kind of take that responsibility and that that's how i go around building that rapport with athletes is just getting to know them okay going back to what you said about self-autonomy and taking ownership is that you trying to build like the leadership skills into them for the future then <clears throat> yeah so leadership but to me it's if, if we look at so if we look at youth-based athletes first youth-based athletes there's there's stats out there that tell you one percent make it an elite elite sport so actually what we what we work with them for um personally in my view we work on them hopefully and it is hopefully because there's no guarantee to get them to where they want to be in terms of their aspirations of their sport and desire i've worked with that many athletes over the the last 15 years now that and and students but ones that i've had from 10 11 years old they get to 16 years old 17 years old if they're within professional sports clubs they drop out and that's them and, and they've dropped out and i've seen it quite a lot they've dropped out physically they're good in terms of their the attributes they have but based on a subjective view they might not be ready for or, or fit for that club or they might not fit the needs of that club so they get dropped and the psychological torture that creates to a um, young adult or it's not even a young adult because it's only 16 17 year olds old can leave them in um scarred for a very very long time yeah so the reason why i believe in self-autonomy one if they take that bit of responsibility it might install uh, a work ethic that allows them to, if they get dropped or if things don't work out, for many it doesn't, then they're still able to go into a gym no matter where they are or into a professional setting, a work setting, and have that belief that they can do whatever is needed to do. They can go in and work <clears> out <throat> themselves. They can go and challenge themselves in a way that they know best suits them. Um, I think, so that's a really big one. Um, it's a massive one for me. It also um, it allows them to have the confidence <clears throat> to go and work with friends, to then install really good behaviors within friends that they might go and train with. Um, we know you've got a background within um, sports science and uh, PT, so you know yourself within that kind of um, average Joe world. Um, yeah absolutely yeah the amount of people that help each other when the gym's sitting and as a pt you can really look and and sometimes cringe at some of the faults that are passed on so for me that 
if you if you bring it back to why is self-autonomy really important for longer term it allows them to go off and install good behaviors and hopefully good patterns within anyone else they work with because their friends will look at them but also for them to aspire to be what they want to be within their sport and the self-autonomy has to come from them to want to take that responsibility to try and get as best they can for whatever it is they want to do and then that kind of transitions into with any of the elite performers so with elite performers if you want longevity within a career actually the more responsible they are of themselves in their own training they've got an increased chance of then having a, a longer term career within that sport or yeah the longer term career within that sport i know that's very subjective but that's how <laughs> i see it anyway yeah okay moving on specifically more to racket sports now that we've mentioned before um, what racket sports did you find the most challenging to coach for and why? So, um, I do, yeah, so we've chatted around before. I do have some experience with racket sports. Um, worked with tennis while I was at um, the Institute of Sport or Sports Scotland Institute of Sport. Um, I was there for 10 years as an SNC coach. And um, I worked with tennis. I worked with um one of the top tennis players at that time a very short time but i worked with one of the top tennis players um worked with squash players um scottish one and two um for a little time and badminton players as well <clears throat> all within that kind of scottish setting um in terms of where they were ranked and how they were ranked quite highly within Britain as well. But again, all youth athletes. So in terms of the sport, I didn't have a lot of involvement with the coaches of those sports. More just, and I don't know why at the time, looking back, um, because now I try and make it a priority to connect with the coaches of, of the individuals I work with. I think it's a very important thing um, to do and that goes back to that kind of rapport with the athlete as if you have a rapport with the coach as well that's fundamental um, so with racket sports probably different reasons um, physically again if I go back to how I look at an individual first so it's about the individual so it doesn't matter if they are a tennis player or a a squash player or a badminton um, player or if they play golf or if they they're a curler I spent a lot of time working with curlers so that if they if whatever sport they are they come in initially it's all about that person and that person is actually are you moving well have you got some of the basic fundamental movements and can we impose a change in those movements or can we increase your capacity in all these movements and then if, it, if we can, and obviously we can, um, then great, that's what we're going to focus on. So regardless of the sport. Um, in terms of, so from a physical perspective, I didn't find any of them really different. I know they are very different in terms of playing and the qualities required. But what I probably found more challenging was... Um, 
probably attitudes, but again, it was from different time frames. So when I worked with the tennis individuals, I found quite a a lack of understanding, um, awareness of SNC at the time, but then we're going back to about 2010, 2011, 12. So there was a lack of awareness of what strength and conditioning was. Um, at that point, I'm not even sure if there were any undergrad degrees around uh, strength and conditioning. Now, um, I think there's something like 40, yeah. 47. Um, <clears throat> so at, at that time, in terms of challenge, it was more a challenge of their perception of what SNC is. And I remember this one in one case. Um, parents and the coach well the parents were involved at the time and they brought in a, his own fitness coach and the fitness coach didn't have a real awareness of youth development and youth athletic development and the appropriateness of lifting weights or getting them to move well so that was probably really challenging in terms of trying to help educate the coach that yeah. he's seen once or twice that was actually being quite counterproductive to what I was trying to install or change within uh, the player. So that was quite challenging. Um, so yeah, that was probably the biggest challenge. One, the other ones was mainly what players, but it is, again, it's come back to just children, what they perceive as hard and not hard, what they perceive as will benefit them and won't benefit them. So that's kind of that process of education. And that's probably the biggest challenge. So not the sport, as such, but what they've picked up within their sports, what habits they've picked up within their sports, and their fear of coming in and doing weight-oriented activities. Yeah. Um, at a time when they're going through growth spurts, so yeah, it's quite challenging in that way. So it, it comes. Yeah, that, that that was probably the biggest challenges. Okay, um, and what advice would you give to an athlete starting out with a strength conditioning program in racket sports? Then. So advice to the athlete, I think um, what I think this comes, I think there's three parts to that. I think the advice has got to not only the athlete, but it's got to be to the sports coach as well, um, or the, the main coach that's involved, and also the parent if it's a if it's a youth athlete, um, also the parent or guardian. I think involving all three within the process is fundamental, especially the role that kind of significant others play with the youth development to the athlete themselves it kind of goes back to the philosophy is be open-minded be open-minded to it's not going to be very specific to your sport um there's a you see a lot within social media where the overuse of specificity is kind of on some of the things i've seen should i say on some of the and it's, it's sometimes you, you look at athletes that are going through movements that have been a, been very specific in an S&C point of view to try and mimic what's going on in the sport. Yeah. And that can lead to a number of issues that aren't good for the athlete or can be very counterproductive to the athlete's performance. Yeah. Um, so I think the advice is strive to get better. Listen to what the coach has got to say. Yeah. Um, and 
kind of invest in that just invest in the process and know that it's not a quick fix but that those kind of those kind of words of advice also kind of goes towards the coach so and the parents is i'm very fortunate with a lot of the youth athletes i work with i spend a lot of time explaining one to the athlete why we do it so it's understanding the why and it doesn't matter how old they are um my own son does it twice a week he comes to what i run from a from the private part through fit for purpose he comes twice a week he challenges me on everything more than any other athlete i have <laughs> and he lets me know exactly what he likes and doesn't like yeah so then if he's doing it but he's saying it to me yeah. what are the other athletes that aren't telling me what they like and dislike yeah yeah, so yeah. because he's my son he's very open with his with his dad yeah um a lot of time I try not to coach him, but mm-hmm. all he's doing is kind of amplifying what all other kids are probably thinking. Yeah. You know, so I spend a lot of time telling them why, but I spend a lot of time <laughs> investing in working with parents and getting them to understand the reasons why as well. Because there is a fear of what SNC is. Um, there's a misunderstanding of what SNC is. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them are influenced through what social media do or through volunteer coaches or, and again, there's nothing wrong with volunteer coaches, but what a lot of their thoughts or biases are that then get embedded into that athlete. Um, so yeah, there there are a lot of, there are a lot of influences there and it's, it's kind of just being open-minded to what the coach has got you to do. But from my perspective, I've got responsibility to work with those other kind of players in terms of parents, coaches, and ultimately the, the individual. Okay. Um, yeah, so moving on then, what is one thing your training style did for an athlete you maybe didn't expect? Has that ever happened to you? It's quite a hard one. Um, I was actually trying to think about this. Um, <laughs> it's depends. So there's... The few of them, which is, um, <clears throat> this, it's, I'm actually lost for words. It's not very often that happens as well. Um, the hardest one is that there, there, is, there are scenarios where I can think of when, going back to about 2008, I used to have my own PT business as well, um, or strength and conditioning business, and that kind of, transitioned into fit for purpose um biggest ones in terms of the influence i have of had is actually the influence they've had on me is a big one so how it impacts me um i will answer the question i know this has kind of gone off but it's what they've done to me i think the big one is and the fact that it's always make or individuals are always making me learn um, always make me conscious around the words I use. Yeah. Um, and over the years, that's probably a big one for me is actually how it's in, um, impacted me on my own coaching. Things out of stories from what I can remember from imposing on individuals. So there is one individual who was aspiring curler. Mm-hmm. Um, and... <clears throat> So from how I worked with them 
going back to this again, 2007-2008, and now he's a full-time professional curler. And so how I've seen them impact is out of the blue messages just to ask him to come train again. I think that's the biggest compliment is them actually wanting to come back to come and train. But also from what we did as training, looking at how we embedded some key movement patterns to actually how well they move now yeah, um, is the big one. I'm probably really impressed with how connected I probably stay. I impressed, thankful, probably the best way, not so much impressed, but how connected a lot of athletes that I've worked with still kind of connect to me or I can still connect to them. I think that's a big one as well. That's a big compliment. Other ones from um, my teaching, how I, my teaching philosophy within the college um, is I very much do exactly the same, make it about the individual. Um, the theory gets taught, so we, we do a lot of things through practical and exposure that is our application. And some of the biggest compliments is how a lot of them have felt that they've been inspired or influenced in going down the fitness or the SNC route. So a lot of ones coming back and actually wanting to get into the fitness industry or the sports science world or the strength and conditioning world purely because what we did at college and how I make all my, because I focus a lot on the strength and conditioning units at the college. Um, and it's probably that that kind of impacts quite a lot and getting people involved within the industry, I think. Yeah. I think I've answered the question. It's very yeah, hard yeah. to pick out very small. Yeah, you've definitely ones. answered the question there with the, the impact is probably the thing that's coming out a, a lot there. Yeah. But I think say the biggest one of compliment is they impact me a lot. They con- constantly do. I think that's the driver. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Chris, where can people find you um, and, and find out more about what you do? Um, I am really bad on social media. I don't post much at all. Um, I always feel like I want to, but I just don't because I don't think I'll be able to sustain it. Um, but I am on Instagram. Um, I think it's the username is Chris Simpson 14. Um, I'm on Twitter. I think that's Chris underscore 80. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a site as well, uh, for fit for purpose. So we have that that's on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. Um, Chris Simpson, um, what you generally find there's probably some kind of ice cream involved in a picture because um, <laughs> me and my son have a lot of ice creams and we post quite a lot of that up. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I am inv- I am on the platforms and every now and again, I probably have little, I don't want to say rants, but little parts of things I read up on and go, right, what can I do? What can I, what can I say? And then I'll, I'll post things up and then I might not post again for about three or four months. And yeah. then, so it's probably, I'm probably not on him enough, but I am there and I do try and post up videos of athletes I work with, um, but it's very infrequent, but I am there to chat and for people to reach out to. Great. All right, Chris, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Chris.